Coming up on DTNS, Darren Kitchen is here to explain how to get top bandwidth out of your van and a whole lot more. Plus, Intel might buy global foundries and whether it's ethical to use software to replicate a dead man's voice for your documentary. DTNS starts now. This is the Daily Tech News for Friday, July 16th, 2021 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Redwood, I'm Sarah Lane. And I'm the show's producer, Roger Chen. Joining us, the founder of Hack5.org, Darren Kitchen is back. Welcome back, Darren. Tom, Sarah, Roger, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you guys again. Thank you for having me on. I've missed you. Ah, we've missed you too. Uh, But you have been traveling around uh, in the van. You're going to tell us all about the tech that was in it. Uh, if you want to know even more about what's going on in, in Darren's van, uh, get the wider conversation on Good Day Internet, which you can get by becoming a member at patreon.com slash DTNS. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. New research from Canada shows that Xiaomi replaced Apple as the second largest smartphone maker in the second quarter with 17% market share of global shipments behind Samsung, which was at 19%. In regional growth, Xiaomi shipments in Latin America increased 300% year on year and grew 50% in Western Europe with overall shipment growth of 83% versus 15% for Samsung and just 1% for Apple. Twitter is rolling out captions for voice tweets. Voice tweets first launched back in June last year, still only available in the iOS app, though you can hear them on the web. And captions will be automatically generated for several supported languages, uh, English, Japanese, Korean, Spanish, French, Portuguese, Turkish, Arabic, Hindi, Indonesian, and Italian. Another vulnerability around Microsoft's print spooler unspooled on Thursday. Microsoft issued an advisory for a new vulnerability unrelated to the partially patched print nightmare. Dragos researcher Jacob Baines discovered the privilege escalation vulnerability, and Microsoft advises admins to stop and disable print spooler service. Again. Uh, Square CEO Jack Dorsey, who is also CEO of Twitter, you may know, uh, tweeted yesterday that the company Square was focused on building an open developer platform with the sole goal of making it easy to create non-custodial, permissionless, and decentralized, get to the point, Jack, financial services. What? He said the new business is called TBD, which could be the official name or could mean it hasn't been named. But this is the cryptocurrency thing Jack Dorsey's been going on about. Keeping you up to speed on the government digital currency progress, China says more than 20.8 million individuals have opened a virtual wallet to store its digital yuan and have made more than 70.7 million transactions for a value of $5.3 billion. The People's Bank of China considers the R&D stage done and will further expand the scope of the trials. And foreign residents temporarily traveling to China can now open an ECNY wallet to meet daily payment needs without having to open a Chinese bank. All right, let's talk about that big Intel buzz. The Wall Street Journal sources say Intel is interested in buying Global Foundries. If you don't know them, Global Foundries is a major maker of chips for other companies. Uh, Think TSMC, but... uh, Sadly, for Global Foundries stockholders, quite a bit smaller. Uh, Global Foundries is owned by the investment arm of the government of Abu Dhabi and has been considering an IPO. When contacted by the Wall Street Journal's executives told them they're not in discussions with Intel themselves, 
So if these talks are going on, the talks are happening at the investor level, just directly with the with the owners. TSMC, of course, dominates the space, but Global Foundries has about 7% of the foundry market by revenue. That's numbers according to Trendforce. AMD spun out Global Foundries back in 2008. Uh, it used to be most of its business, not so much anymore, but it does remain one of its biggest customers with a $1.6 billion multi-year supply deal going in place earlier this year. Global Foundries has been expanding capacity uh, they just announced they're going to spend $4 billion to build a fab in Singapore. Meanwhile, Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger had said back in March that Intel wants to expand its role as a company that makes chips, not just for itself, but for other companies as well. They, they want to act as a fab. They see that as an alternate way to get revenue. Intel plans to spend $20 billion on new factories in the U.S. We talked about the Arizona site before. So getting global foundries would give it a bunch of factories and accelerate Intel's plans to become bigger in the fab space. Analyst Patrick Moorhead told TechCrunch that global foundries would bring with it tech uh, that would give them processes for making chips for 5G, RF, IoT, automotive, uh, which would help Intel become a full stack provider, making it a little more compelling. Uh, Darren, I, I know you have to source chips uh, for for the stuff that you make. Uh, do you have a perspective on the idea of Intel getting global foundries based on that? I'm curious how it's going to impact us. It has been a nightmare lately. Some of the vendors uh, are asking, you know, hey, uh, what are your 2023 orders? Because you need to get those in now. Um, and so I I don't see this as something impacting me on some some of the smaller chip stuff, uh, especially on the, on the RF side. But I do see this as like, okay, well, this is a big player consolidating and getting bigger. Is that a good thing for the industry? Does this hold back potential innovation? Um, and, and I don't know. Intel has been a big company that has been getting smaller. Uh, not that they've gotten small, but they, you know, they 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 have been uh, worried that that their growth is slowing. So I, I see why Intel wants global foundries. Absolutely. Uh, they want the capacity. They want to enter the fab market and start making chips for other companies. And if they buy global foundries, their capacity to do that accelerates by three years or more. Uh, global and foundries may or may not want Intel to get them, but it might help them get a leg up in competition against TSMC. I mean, it's it's one of the things that uh, Global Foundries, which has it's been talked about a couple of years ago, but uh, AMD was basically leveraging all their new processes onto TSMC because they have the experience and the capacity to do it. And as you said, Global Foundries only accounts for seven percent of the of the global chip market. TSMC does has fifty five, fifty four percent, and so. Being able to at least partner with someone who could line up uh, a lot of work for them, as well as you know, for Intel. I mean, trying to trying to get trying to start a new fab and then have it start pumping out ch chips is like a two year process or longer. It's not like you know you build something in six months and you have product at the end of the year. And so it it does help Intel and it, it could potentially help uh, uh, Global Foundries because you know AMD is no longer wedded to them in the same way as it used to be and the TSMC really does have a leg up on all the competition with their with their new process Samsung comes in at a close second yeah granted AMD has been moving a lot of their business to TSMC over the years but it, you know we 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 all had a good chuckle at Intel saying like hey we want to be a fab Apple we'll make the M1 for you no problem uh, we don't mind 
be even weirder if Intel was making AMD's chips for them through Global Foundries. But oh, uh, I would love that. yeah. Uh, this this is still a ways off. This is obviously talks. The executives of Global Foundries are are not even involved. Uh, so we'll 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 see where that goes. Or they say so anyway. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Hard to know. Podcast app Pocket Cast was sold to NPR back in 2018, but in January the Public Media Board decided to put it up for sale. NPR reportedly lost eight hundred thousand dollars on the app in 2020. Well, they have found a buyer, and that buyer is Automatic. Those are the folks who run WordPress, also bought Tumblr. Uh, Automatic announced it has acquired Pocket Cast. Co-founders Russell Ivanovic and Philip Simpson will remain in charge of the Pocket Cast team. And Automatic said that the company will explore building deep integrations with WordPress.com and Pocket Casts, making it easier to distribute and listen to podcasts. WordPress partnered in February with Spotify-owned Anchor on a feature to turn written blog posts into content, audio content, using text-to-speech. So one more step ahead for Automatic uh, and podcasts, podcasting folks. I wonder how much uh, they're, I don't know, the, the, the star bloggers who, who need a place to be featured could be featured somewhere like Pocket Cast, which is a very popular podcast app. Yeah, definitely soft spot in the heart when it comes to the likes of WordPress or RSS and podcasts and that whole open nature of the web 2.0 era that it was before all the walled gardens and the Spotify's and the subscription fees. So happy to see it in a, uh, in a home that I know can do right by it for sure. Yeah. Um, listen, I was an intern at national public radio back in 1993. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to, to trash NPR, but I was never comfortable with NPR owning pocket cast. It just, just didn't fit for me. And I love pocket casts. I use pocket casts. That's, that's, that's my go-to. Uh, so them ending up with automatic feels right to me. It feels like they're with someone who understands their business will help them improve their business. NPR was not making money, as you mentioned, Sarah. Uh, and I feel like if there's money to be made on pocket casts, automatic can figure out how to do that because they have done that with WordPress, which is a free open source blogging platform, right? Like, you know, they, yeah. they, they know how to do this. True, uh, and and how they will make money. I mean, I'd, I'd I'd love to know. I know that Pocket Cast has a premium model, uh, so there there was money to be made. NPR couldn't figure out how to grow that. Uh, you know, they were obviously putting in more than they were getting back. Um, and Pocket Cast is also pretty beloved because it's just a good app. But you know, the, it if you want the free version of Pocket Cast, you can do most things that people want to do can do it that way. So yeah, I, 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 uh, there's a premium model model here, obviously that WordPress, uh, and automatic, uh, is, is they are scheming up. I just don't see it yet. Well, I, I'll tell you what I would pay pocket cast for, and that would be on the creator side, uh, for, for creator tools or insights or data or something like that on the consumer side. I mean, maybe I'd pay for something. I don't know, but right now I haven't seen it. So, you know, maybe there's, yeah. there's something they can do both ways. Cause that's, that's how WordPress works. You don't, you don't make your money at automatic charging the consumers of the blogs. You make your money helping the people who create the blogs. We've talked before on DTNS about companies that offer algorithms that can recreate a person's voice for use in video games, fixing dialogue in movies, stuff like that that's becoming more and more possible, more and more common. Filmmaker Morgan Neville told The New Yorker that he used algorithms 
to recreate the voice of the late Anthony Bourdain in his upcoming documentary, Roadrunner. Neville has Bourdain's friend David Cho reading aloud an email he got from Bourdain, and then it fades into Bourdain's own voice reading the email. The New Yorker's Helen Rosner heard this when she was previewing the documentary and so asked Neville, where did you get that clip of Bourdain reading his own email? And Neville told Rosner he had three lines of dialogue, not just that one, that he wanted in Bourdain's voice, but he could not find existing audio to approximate it. So he gave a dozen hours of recordings of Bourdain's voice to a software company to train a model that could replicate Bourdain's voice. He didn't name the company in the New Yorker article, and he also didn't identify what the other two software-created lines in the documentary are. In fact, Neville told Rosner, if you watch the film, other than that line you mentioned, you probably don't know what the other lines are that were spoken by the AI, and you're not going to know. We can have a documentary ethics panel talk about it later. We're going to have a little ethics talk about it right now, but before we do, let's hear. This is from the trailer for the documentary Roadrunner, uh, but this is part of that line that was created by the algorithm. You were successful, and I am successful, and I'm wondering, are you happy? Okay. (laughs) All right, so first of all, I don't think, that sounds enough like Anthony Bourdain to, I mean, it's going to fool some people, but now that I know and I'm listening for it, I'm like, yeah, that's not quite right. It's close enough though, to obviously supposed to pass as him. And I think my initial question, and I'd love to know what everybody else thinks is, okay, so this is an email that Anthony Bourdain sent to someone else. And that person says, yes, this is legit, right? shares it with the documentarian. Documentarian says, ah, it'd be so great if I had audio of that because he did say it. It was just in written form. But is this something that he would have said out loud ever to anyone? You know, speaking on a show, speaking one-on-one to somebody. There are two different forms of communication. So then you say, okay, well, hmm, kind of a gray area. Was the permission given? And apparently, according to Anthony Bourdain's widow, uh, she says, no, he's claiming that we said it was cool, but we never said that. No, I've never I've, I've never given the go ahead on this particular thing. So that's where this gets tricky. It's like creative license. Sure. I see where you'd 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 love to have this piece of media in the form that you want. But you've changed it enough that you've created a scenario that never happened. And that's where a lot of people have their feathers ruffled over this. Yeah, I, I can see the the ethical problems in that. And then I can also see how while uh, on the one hand, this could be great for revolutionizing ADR where then you don't have to, you know, as long as you've got the, the actor's permission, you don't have to get them into a sound booth and all of the added expense of that. But at the same time, you know, you've you've got a missed opportunity for creativity. I think about the uh, the scene in Once Upon a Time in Mexico, uh, a wonderful Robert Rodriguez film that uh, had uh, uh, Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek in this scene where they had to cut to all of these bits of B-roll to cover up the the lines because nothing was matching right. And so had they been able to get them back in to re-record the lines and, and, and match them up, it would have been no big deal. But instead, what we ended up with was a beautiful piece of cinematography that we would have never otherwise had that actually was one of the standout scenes in the movie for just being so, I don't know, just artsy and cool. Um, so it, it could also be used as a crutch 
And I, yeah. I don't like that. I, I call that the 140 character argument, right? The, the 140 character limit on Twitter in the early days was not a limit they had to keep, uh, you know, once they moved beyond SMS, but they kept it because it forced creativity. You know, they felt it shaped the conversation. Uh, and I, I get what you're saying there. I, I think there, there's all kinds of ways you can go with this. I don't think it's wrong to use an algorithm to create uh, to create even of, of, of a dead person to, to create their voice again. I think, I think creatively, that's great to be able to hear that person, you know, imagine the historical stuff. If you could recreate the voice of Lincoln, uh, reading the Gettysburg address, because we have a few snippets of Lincoln's actual voice out there. You know, if we could, if we could do stuff like that, I think, I think there's, there's excellent opportunities to do that. There's a legal morass. We could go down uh, a rabbit hole talking about like, well, who has the rights to the estate and who has the rights to a voice and all of that. And, and that's a whole situation to, to be discussed in the Bourdain case though, you you are so close to the end of his life now that I think ethically, let's forget legally, ethically, you need his family's permission. Uh, and I know that he's saying I got their permission and she's saying they didn't. So it's a he said, she said situation. But you need the family's permission to do this. And uh, and without that, I don't think it's ethical to do it. I also don't love that he's like, I'm not going to tell you which ones uh, were were there. It's fine to make it obscure to say, like, I'd rather you don't know before you watch the movie because then you're going to hear it when maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, but put it at the credits, you know, put it put it somewhere so that it's clear, like, no, he didn't actually say this. We did recreate that. I don't have a problem with the recreation. I just want a little transparency around it. And I want approval. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's I I I. I do not know Morgan Neville, the filmmaker. Uh, it does. It sounds as though his somewhat flippant remarks about why the, why this was done and why he doesn't want to talk more about it is is part of the reason that the story has gotten so much attention. Mm. It feels to me. It's, I mean, it's fairly. It's like it's it's almost not a big deal, except that now it's a big deal because everyone's like, well, we just don't, you never know. And this is a, this is deep fake coming to life. And, and people shouldn't, shouldn't be able to, to do something like this, especially with somebody who's no longer with us. And yeah, it's a, it's an uncomfortable thing. And it's certainly not the last time that we're going to have to have a conversation about it. But yeah, I I really do think it, this all lands with, it's the context of, okay, that thing was said, but it was in written form. And the, and you know you're you've recreated something that sounds a lot like that person, but you've taken away their right to say it the way that they want to say it because it was mm-hmm. private conversation between two people. Yeah, we're we're gonna assuming have to create, there weren't other people on that email. Yeah, we're gonna have to create a whole new set of rules about this stuff. Is what it amounts, what it comes down to. Well, in episode three of our mini podcast series, Seniors in Tech, science correspondent Dr. Nikki Ackermans is going to chat with former high school French teacher Sandra Foster, who taught herself how to operate and fix Macs and then ended up being tech support for her friends and family. (laughs) Some of us know how that feels. Seniors in Tech, episode three hits the DTNS feed Saturday, July 17th. All right, Darren has made the road his home with a van all customized, some things you would expect. There are tables, a bed, cooking equipment, some hot sauce. But when you're hacking across America, you need a lot of tech in that van, too. And we would expect nothing less from you, Darren. So let's start with security. How does the creator of the Wi-Fi pineapple keep his van nice and safe? 
Well, you know, it starts with good operational security. So, of course, I tell everyone where I am at any given point in time. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I, I try to just not be the lowest hanging fruit. The place that I'm most concerned about security is actually not when I'm in the van boondocking anywhere. It's when I park it at a trailhead. And the same would really go for any vehicle. But because it's a van, there's the potential for there to be like, ooh, goodies in it. So obviously the stuff that's of value inside the van is locked up. And then on the outside, there are four night vision cameras that create 360 view of uh, what's going on outside. And what's important about those is you just get any old IP camera, but make sure that it speaks RTSP on your local area network within your van. And then that way, without even needing the internet, you can locally see uh, all of those video signals using an app on your phone, your computer, your iPad, whatever have you. Uh, so that's been nice at night to be able to check that and see like, oh, what was that? And you're like, oh, it's a deer. Um, there's LED motion sensing lights. There's proximity alarm if I'm not around that'll, you know, make an audible alert. And then I've just got like big warning signs to say like, hey, you know, like this is under surveillance and all that jazz. Um, and that just makes it kind of like, I, I think that just makes it seem less enticing to break into. Yeah, I would hope. Lots of little speed bumps, basically, uh, is is what you're talking about. All right, but the, but the real the real geeky stuff, I feel like, is is your comms. Like you you have figured out how to set yourself up to only not have to get internet in a place where there just is no internet, right? Uh, what are your communication gear situation? Yeah, absolutely. It's you know I love finding those places just on the edge of service where you have all of the nature and all of the conveniences of home and being able to work remotely. So having a reliable internet connection is so important. And so for that, I rely on one of two hacked LTE modems, uh, either the MoFi 4500 or the GLINET Moody, M-U-D-I. Both of those are OpenWRT Linux-based routers that you can SSH into with root access and make firewall rules to change uh, this thing called IP tables which will mangle the traffic and make it look to the cell carrier as if all of the traffic going through them is coming from just a cell phone by changing this value called a time to live. And there's details on the Hack5 podcasts about how to do that, but essentially it means that the unlimited data is actually unlimited for me, uh, even though I'm using it as a hotspot. And when I couple that with uh, a set of roof-mounted antennas, the range that I get is kind of tremendous. Uh, at first, I was going with an off-the-shelf solution from Wilson's WeBoost brand. It's about $500 for this setup that includes an antenna on the outside, an antenna on the inside, and a repeater that amplifies the signal. Don't buy that. It's $500 uh, that you're throwing away. Just get the antenna itself and wire the antenna directly into the modem. That's $50. Bucks. Uh, so I've actually since then switched to a ProxyCast 6dBi LTE antenna, and I'm getting amazing range with that. And then I also do like to get to places that don't have any cell service whatsoever. So in those cases, I rely on a Garmin inReach satellite communicator. That's just for sending SMS. Uh, and then I have an Iridium Go satellite modem that I've actually hacked to get unlimited data on. But don't get excited because this is no Starlink 100 megabit. Uh, Tom, the, the bandwidth I get on the Iridium Go modem is 2400 Bod. Bod? <laughs> Bod. Wow. Okay. Uh, so, so little drips, little drips of data. Yeah. It's good for Telnet. Mm -hmm. And actually, 
funnily enough, it's a fallacy that Telnet's not secure. There are ways to secure Telnet. I need to do a segment on Hack5 of this. But you can imagine it would take like a day and a half to download a, a photograph. So so don't even think. It's just really for getting into a, a, a server. So when I see uh, putty on your screen, I'm like, oh, you're using Iridium. Got it. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I, on, on my Mac, I use a, an app called Trip Mode. There are many of these apps that will allow you to application firewall, which is so important to saving data because if you've got your operating system in the background, using all your data, it's such a pain. Uh, so I like to specify what, what can be used. As far as navigation is concerned, um, huge fan of the iOverlander and Seeker apps uh, for finding good glamping sites or good uh, boondocking sites, as it were. Um, you know, Airbnb hip camp and uh, harvest host if i want to pay for something open signal is an amazing app for finding places like what kind of service to expect in places network signal info pro is a great app for finding out where those cell towers are so if you have a directional antenna you know where to point it or if you're just looking somewhere to drive for better service you know what direction to drive in for uh that and then recreationally hey you know gotta love the toys uh the drone of choice right now for me is a flywoo lr4 with a lithium battery pack which will uh, get you about 25 minutes of awesome first-person view uh, flying action, um, and then yeah, this is all van life is all about the um, all about the recreational activities. So you know you get your, your stand-up paddle boards and your electric mountain bikes and your surfboards, all the little stuff. To be honest, of all of them, the the one recreational thing that I love the most is is a simple Camco Little Red campfire. It's a propane grill technically but it's a fire pit so especially in in california some of the western states a lot of the uh thing is like no camp or no charcoal fires no wood fires but propane grills are okay nice so if the ranger comes by you're just grilling marshmallows yeah absolutely if for darren for anybody who who's like this sounds really great uh but i you know have a nine to five job. And, you know, even if I could be on the road and I wanted to go to remote places, you know, the internet connectivity and just, and being, being plugged in enough to the world to not be off the grid. I mean, how pleasantly or unpleasantly surprised have you been being able to sort of push that and, and live your life? I know you've got, you've got your hacks cause, cause you're Darren, but you know, how much would you be able to say to somebody who's relatively versed in this kind of stuff, but, but, but maybe is starting out, uh, that they could do the same. Yeah. So, um, Sarah, I wanted to spend an entire weekend offline, just listening to Atlantis Morissette and kind of resetting digitally. So I was looking for a place with no service. So I went to the Alabama Hills in the Eastern Sierras and I drove for miles into the desert to hopefully find a, a place of solace with no service. I ended up having to go into airplane mode cause I had such excellent 5g. <laughs> So I think that just speaks to just like how prevalent it is. And it's only going to get more prevalent with things like Starlink. So I would say I've just been delightfully surprised how much bandwidth is everywhere. Well, that, that that's excellent. If, if, if there's one thing you could leave people with as far as like, hey, I want to I want to know more about this. Where do where do they start? Where 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 would you say is, is a good place for people to start learning about all that? Sure. There's an app called Seeker, S-E-K-R. It's kind of like a uh, van life social network. And even if you don't have a van, you just got, you know, your Jeep, your whatever, uh, get on that. And there's meetups all the time. And you just drive in and you make new friends um, immediately and instantly. And and they'll show you the ropes. And it's really about community. It's not even about 
living inside of a vehicle as much as it's about getting out there and, and making friends and seeing nature. And, and also uh, high tech tip here, bring one of these. And to the listeners, it's an atlas. It's made out of paper and it's wonderful and you never have to reboot it. Yeah, spiral bound, <laughs> easy to use. Well, World Emoji Day, July 17th. Hope it's on your calendar, but if it isn't, now it is. Just ahead of that, though, the draft list for potential new emoji has been announced. Now, if selected, and many of them usually are, but, you know, it's still kind of a question, you might soon be able to call up a melting smiley face, an x-ray, low battery indicator, a disco ball, hands in the shape of a heart, three beans, a pregnant man, and an index finger pointing ahead, Uncle Sam style. So many choices. Those are just a few. New emoji proposals were delayed this year for pandemic reasons. They're now set to be finalized by the Unicode Consortium in September, with final versions rolling out in late 2021 through 2022. Ooh, beans or a pregnant man? That's right, Tom. I don't know which one three, I'm more excited about. Three beans together. Uh, I'm for the if low you battery. you get beans emoji from me, you know I'm in business. <laughs> Or just let's go get tacos. <laughs> what, which one are you hoping for, Darren? I'm hoping for low battery because I love emoji combinations, my favorite of which being pineapple sunglasses. So I like low battery because it can be used for like brain low battery, heart low battery. Mm. So much you can do with that. And some of the, uh, the low battery mock-up icons, obviously every implementation is a little different, but some of them look like a, a, a half a cup of blood. So it would work well with the heart emoji. Yeah, or vampires. Yeah. I like how I said pregnant man and everyone was just like, oh, you know, I really like oh, yeah. the one. You know, like all those pregnant men out there. Blood. Obviously, we need that yeah. one. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, fine. You know, listen, it's all about choice. And you might have your own uh, hope for what uh, the emoji consortium <laughs> will 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 pass through. And if you do, we want to hear about it. We want to hear about pretty much anything you have feedback about from the show. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com is where to send those emails. And we love to come back from a weekend with lots of emails. So get to typing. Thank you in advance. Shout out to patrons that are master and grandmaster levels, including Brandon Brooks, Alexander Nasev, and Hector Bones. Also, we have three brand new bosses oh, today. So close, so close. Count them three. We, we asked for four. We only got three, but boy, were we close. And the three that did their part were Brian Paulson, Aaron Polkinghorn, and Brandon Conkle. All just started backing us on Patreon. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, Brian, Aaron, and Brandon, you did your part. Uh, we don't blame you, uh, but we, you know, we'll try again. We'll try again for four on Monday. We'll see. Yeah, we'll give you a whole weekend, folks. Get on there. <laughs> Patreon.com slash GTNS. Uh, thanks you so much to Darren Kitchen for being with us from your very cool looking life on the road. Pretty jealous. Uh, I will be hitting you up for tips uh, when my dog and I hit the road sometime of our own in the future. But let folks know where they can keep up with, with everything that you're up to. Oh, yeah. Sarah, you've got to do it. It's life changing. Uh, and yeah, all the good stuff is at hack5.org or just look up Hack5 on YouTube. That's H-A-K, the number five, but autocomplete always kind of gets it these days. Uh, lots of great new content. We've got so many amazing new creators on the channel with uh, excellent shows on cybersecurity news. Shannon Morris, obviously, you guys are familiar with doing great stuff on ThreatWire. We have uh, some beginner kind of uh, intro hacking stuff on Redia and Hacktip and Hackbyte and you know 
uh, so just hack5.org, and then you'll see my uh, adventures there, Hack Across America, as I, as I do a little vloggy vlog action and uh, you know discover some new fun places. I was just recently in a cave on the border of California and Oregon where I had to go through some marijuana farms. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> it does sound fun. Well, thank you for taking the time to come hang out with us, and please come back soon. We are live on this show, Monday through Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern at 2030 UTC, and you can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Bookmark it. Tell a friend. We'll be back on Monday with Andrew Heaton. Have a great weekend. This week's episodes of Daily Tech News Show were created by the following people. Host, producer, and writer Tom Merritt. Host, producer, and writer Sarah Lane. Executive producer and booker Roger Chang. Producer, writer, and host Rich Straffolino. Video producer and Twitch producer Joe Kuntz. Associate producer Anthony Lemos. Spanish language host, writer, and producer Dan Campos. News host, writer, and producer Jen Cutter. Science correspondent Dr. Nikki Ackermans. Social media producer and moderator Zoe Detterding. Our mods, Beatmaster, W. Scottis One, BioCow, Captain Kipper, Jack Shid, Steve Rama, Paul Reese, and Matthew J. Stevens. Mod and video hosting by Dan Christensen. Video feed by Sean Way. Music and art provided by Martin Bell, Dan Luters, Mustafa A, Acast, Creative Ast Arts, and Len Peralta. Acast ad support from Trace Gaynor. Patreon support from Stefan Brown. Contributors for this week's show included Scott Johnson and Justin Robert Young. And guests on this week's show included Charlotte Henry, Nicole Lee, and Darren Kitchen. Thanks to all the patrons who make the show possible. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>